If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me. I'm going to be in 1 John. We've got a couple more sermons in this series that we've called Walk This Way. It's taken almost a good chunk of our year to get through 1 John, but just a couple sermons left. Today we want to talk about walking with the sun, before I get that, how's your, uh, get there, how's, how's your uh, month going? Everybody doing okay? Everybody having a good month? Well, by month, I mean like the last 30 days. That's what a month typically is. I know we're only halfway through July, but uh, for the last 30 days at our house, we've been kind of uh, in, a, in a new phase of life, an experiment uh, that's permanent. Uh, but uh, my father-in-law moved in uh, the day after, or the week after my birthday in June. And uh, uh, let, let me start with preface with this. Uh, my father-in-law is one of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life. Uh, I couldn't ask for a better roommate. Uh, obviously, my wife digs him. Uh, so uh, all the arrows are pointing up for this experience. But here's what we've learned. As, as great as everything can be on the front end, there's still adjustments. Uh, things you didn't know that you uh, uh, didn't like in certain uh, aspects of, of relationships that you have to talk through and work through. I didn't know I didn't like someone sitting next to me while I was on my chair or, 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 the, or my chair with the couch. I didn't know that. Unless it's Eleanor, I don't like you near me. I didn't know that. Uh, and now I do. Uh, uh, so we figured, we just, we, it's been a lot of learning. And, and, and on top of that, my dad will be 90 in, in September. And uh, as, you know, older folks uh, can attest to, bodies don't work like they used to at that age. And so uh, there's just a lot of trepidation. My dad's been a diabetic for most of his life, and it's just all over the map, his blood sugars and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of scary sometimes. We don't know what's going on. I'm not a doctor. Maybe you are. Good on you. Uh, but uh, we're, we're just trying to figure this whole thing out together. It got really kind of crazy yesterday. Eleanor, I was uh, here, here preparing to talk to you, and Eleanor was at home with Dad, and she calls me up, and she's like, Mark, I think I'm calling the ER or, or, or uh, whatever. They, uh, thank you for coming this morning. The ambulance, because, you know, dad's sugars are all over the place, and he's, you know, slurring his speech, and I don't know what's going on. And so I, I drive home quickly, and I, I get there just after the ambulance has arrived. It's always fun to drive up to your house and see an ambulance there. Yay, right? And I come in, and by God's grace, listen, he's fine. It was one of those things where they were able to sort stuff out, and, um, you know, we uh, went on with our day. But we're kind of in that pocket now in life where it's like, ugh. A little over our heads, deep water. Are you with me? Been there? Find yourself there right now? Uh, if you aren't there, uh, I'm letting you know, you may be sloshing around in the shallow end, but the deep water's coming. It's just a part of human existence. Now, we can skate for long periods of time in general, you know, uh, joy and bliss, but, uh, but challenges are just a part of life in a broken world. What we do in those challenges is what I want to talk about today. I uh, sat in my office and um, welcomed several uh, families into, our, uh, into, into my office, whether it was on the phone or in person, and, and just walked through some of the deep water of some of the families in our church. Uh, on, on Monday, it was a, a family whose uh, kind of very uh, stitches or, or fabric is, is being torn apart because mom and dad can't get along and they're trying to sort things out. On uh, Wednesday, it was the father uh, of a young girl who's walking through uh, a battle with cancer, and prognoses have, haven't been as positive as, as, as we'd love and like. On Thursday, it was another guy, uh, late stages of pancreatic cancer, and, and what do we do here, and how do we uh, navigate this? Um, the deep water comes. It's just a 
uh, a part of life. Now, that's why as, as we start this morning, I want to revisit some of the verses that uh, Tom uh, so capably preached as God worked through him last week uh, to start our time together. If you uh, have been with us through our study of First John, you know that John, one of the 12 apostles, uh, was blessed to be a, a a church planner of sorts, we believe, in a region probably near Ephesus in the ancient world. And uh, uh, he has uh, since gone and, and continued his work uh, in the early church, but he's writing back to these uh, churches that he was a part of planting and, and just reminding them of the truth that they've been given. And, and he's saying, walk this way, not that way. Walk in love. Walk in the light. Walk this way. He, he spent four and a half chapters now, uh, almost five and a half chapters, just uh, uh, pointing out the, the false teachings that uh, were prevailing in this early church. Some of the folks who were original members apparently had started believing new ideas, and it was poisoning the well uh, there in that body. He's talked a ton about it. Uh, but he's kind of given over here towards the end of the letter to being not just an admonisher, but an encourager. And in chapter 5, verses four and five, he talks to those who are uh, walking through the deep waters of disillusionment brought on by these false teachers or just the difficulties of following Jesus at any stage of history. It's just hard sometimes because life brings deep waters. And this is what he says to them. There's victory in Jesus. I grew up in these uh, Baptist churches where we sang the hymns. Uh, the book would open. You'd go to the number. Some of you are like, what? Uh, no screens. And uh, we just belt out whatever the hymn was. One of my favorites as a kid was, There's victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. There's more. Uh, it's a great song. It's pulled right out of uh, these verses. John writes this to his friends at that church. He says, For everyone who has been born of God, verse 4, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? No one else can. It's only those of us who know Jesus that truly overcome. Faith enables us. Faith in Jesus enables those who follow him to overcome the world in at least two ways. The first one we talked about a few weeks ago, it enables us to identify, as we have faith in Jesus, the things that are outside that faith, the lies that come at us so rapidly in the world. Much of John's letter, as we discussed earlier, has been addressing these false teachers who have infiltrated the churches that he's writing to. And their faith in his original message, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, if they hold on to it and if they stick with it, it will enable them to identify the errors of the false teachers and be like, that's not us. That's not what we believe. And in enabling them to identify these errors, it will, it will enable them to withstand and to follow in the midst of those challenges and belief, the things that they know to be true. Went to a Baseball game Thursday night, there was a Father's Day uh, raffle. You could win an axe throwing or a whatever. There was, a, there was one of them, I don't know if you were here for Father's Day, but you could go to a baseball game with Pastor Mark, the Red Sox versus the Rays. Full disclosure, lifelong Red Sox fan. It's well-traveled here. Boo hiss, I know. Okay. 
But also, something you should know is that for the last, I think, almost nine years, I've gone pretty much every year, sometimes two and three times, to watch the Red Sox play. And in my memory, I am never there when the Red Sox win. So if you're a Rays fan, you want me to go watch that game. <laughs> it is a guarantee. Didn't I say this, Coy? Coy was sitting next to me at the game. We were up 3-0. It was the seventh inning. And you guys got a base runner on, and I said, we're going to lose this game. This is... And I'm a Red Sox fan, it's okay. We, we are conditioned for these kinds of things. And sure enough, they ended up losing. Uh, I was with another one of my friends, Keith, I see you out there. Uh, we were sitting, uh, and, and I, I, I marvel at this at baseball games. <laughs> so a pitcher will throw a pitch, and it'll be you know, in a full count situation or in a, in a situation where the opposing team's batter could be called out on strikes. And the pitch will come in, and the, and the, and the umpire will call it a ball, and everybody in the crowd just erupts with, no, oh, get some glasses. That was in there. What are, you, what are you looking at, right? As they sit 250 feet on the side from where the pitch is actually being thrown. Is everybody with me? Does everybody get the hysterical silliness of that? There's a guy who's trained, albeit imperfect, but trained, standing behind the catcher. It's his job. To call strikes and balls. He saw it as a ball. Who am I 200 feet away to be like, that was in there? But it's my right. I paid my ticket. Well, actually, I won. <laughs> was given a ticket. But it's my right to yell for my team, right? That umpire has a different perspective. He can see things, and he knows what's inside the strike zone, what's outside. He calls it accordingly. The other sports have the same kind of officials, not called umpires, but referees. They call the fouls in the game, in the basketball games. They call out of bounds and penalties in the football games. You are familiar with most pro sports and how they work. But uh, what John is saying, hey, listen, those of you who have faith in Christ, you have been given this ability to be the spiritual referee of your life and to be able to say, that's not our belief. That's not in the strike zone of what we have come to know to be true. My faith helps me discern and deny the things that are not true. Huge for this crowd who was reading his letters uh, as he originally wrote them. You can make the right calls and in faith overcome the world. So faith enables us to identify the, the lies or the fouls that are in the game that we call life but they also enable us to walk through the bad stuff that comes in life, the deep water. I was listening to a preacher some 20 years ago preach on the difference between Eastern Christians or modern or not Eastern, that's the Western Christians. Let me start over. This preacher was preaching about the difference between we here in the West and those who follow Jesus in uh, less fortunate settings in the East, uh, those who are under constant uh, persecution for what they believe. We pray differently, this preacher said. I think I'm getting it right now. He says, Western Christians pray for deliverance, like almost exclusively, like, Lord, here's the deep water, get me out. Those who have come from other cultures, who have seen a little bit more persecution, uh, they aren't as expectant of deliverance, perhaps because they've lived without it. 
And so they pray a different kind of prayer. They pray, Lord, walk with me through the things that I face. If your choice is not to deliver me, just give me your presence. Walk with me through the deep waters of life. Jesus uh, talked about this. It's probably where John got what he wrote here in his letter. Uh, in, in his gospel, John quotes Jesus in John chapter 16. In the context of it, he's, uh, Jesus has been talking with his friends, who at the time are just uh, on cloud nine. They've, they've met who they understand to be the Son of God. He's walking around Israel healing people and preaching these amazing messages. Uh, they are uh, just every day waking up to something new and exciting in their pursuit and follow of Jesus. But Jesus keeps talking to them about, hey, guys, this is going to come to an end. i got to go to Jerusalem, and i got to lay down my life. Anybody read this in the Gospels? Like early on, like we're, we're looking at it from 2,000 years forward, and we understand that Jesus died, but he rose again. Yay! But these guys are hearing about this, and they're like, whoa, what? Oh, no, you're not. Jesus says, yeah, it's what's got to happen. It's how it's got to work. And here in John 16, he says, guys, it'll be okay. And then he says this. He says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Not deliverance, but in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of your trial, peace. In the world, he says, I guarantee you will have tribulation, whether it's in this specific tribulation of my death, which if you read the story of the death of Jesus Christ, the disciples had a hard time with it. They scattered, hid. The only time they got back together was on Sunday night. It was in the cover of darkness in a secret room where Jesus appears to them. Yeah, hard days. Jesus says, yeah, those are coming. In this life, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He, he, he speaks of it in present tense reality. Not I will overcome the world. Not I, I hope to overcome the world. He says, I have overcome the world. His assurance is that the ultimate victory for his followers, for us, his followers, is already won. It's the difference between uh, going into battle for victory or going into battle from victory. Going into battle for victory is I don't know how this is going to turn out. Going into battle from victory is I know exactly how it's going to turn out. Let me give you something from my life that might help you understand. Professional wrestling. Is everybody with me? I grew up running home from church on Sunday in my uh, high school uh, days. Uh, uh, church would end at noon, kind of. And uh, WWF would start right then. And I just lived a few doors down from the church we worked at, or my dad worked at, and so I would just bust out of there. No highs, no how you doings. I got to get the Hulk and Andre and Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Come on. And I sit there and I watch with bated breath, wondering, oh, who's going to win? Who's going to come off the top rope? How, how's this going to end? Just so you know, everybody in the WWF knew long before the match ever began exactly who was going to win. Those wrestlers went into the, to the ring wrestling from victory, not for victory. You're going to lose. He's going to win. Let's go make some money. As Christians, we live in a spiritual, professional wrestling world. We are operating from victory. It may not seem that way. 
It may not feel that way, because a lot of times when we come to verses like this, we're like, we're overcomers. I get what I want, how I want, when I want. But that's not what the verses say. It says that our Savior has overcome the world. We can have confidence in that. But even if that doesn't mean deliverance, we have his presence. And ultimately, regardless of what happens in the present circumstances of our life, Jesus wins. Another way to put it maybe is this, faith and Christ-reliance equals victory. If I have faith in Jesus and I rely on him, then that victory that he promises, that overcoming he promises is mine. But if I leave that and I live instead in in faith in self and self-reliance, the eventual end of that is fear and loss. Whenever I depend on myself, I come to the end of myself. It's like the difference between the kid who's in the pool treading water and the one hugging the pool noodle. My money's on the pool noodle kid. He's going to last in that pool longer. Are you with me? It's the difference between going to the Olympics and watching the high jump and the pole vault. High jump's all about the jumper. He's going to run up to that stick that's being balanced between two poles. He's going to throw himself under his own power as hard as he can into the air. And if he's really good, I think the modern day record's like around eight feet. He's going to clear that pole and get some gold medals. Great. But the pole vaulter looks at the high jumper and he's like, eh. Because here's what's happened. He's figured out, I can go higher with this pole. Just a little pin here in the sermon. Does anybody wonder how the pole vault got started? I think that was one of the original hold my beer moments in history. Is everybody with me? (laughs) Like some some guy, you know, a woodsman is like, you know what, I bet you you can't take this pole and jump over that tree. And maybe it was way back, hold my mead. You know, here, you know, hold this. Anyway, (laughs) I don't know how it got started. Someone Google it and let me know. But uh, pole vault's this fascinating event. You know what the record for the pole vault is? Over 18 feet. Eight feet, 18 feet. What's the difference, pole? Same condition of athlete, but the pole vaulter grabs his pole and he runs as hard as he can down this track and then he plants his pole in that whatever it is that holds it and he just leans his entire weight on that. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms pole. Lean, right? And he just leans into that thing, and that pole pops him straight up in the air, and if he does it right, 18 feet. The difference is this. His trust is in something outside of him, and it gives him the distance that he needs to overcome. If you're in the deep waters of life, you can keep running up to that you know, bar that's above you in the, in the world that you're living in and try to jump it over yourself. You might be able to do it sometimes. But ultimately, there's going to be things that are way past what you can do. And Jesus says here, I'll give you victory. I've overcome. You know what the key is? Don't believe in you. Believe in me. Faith allowed us to overcome. Knowing how important faith is to finding victory, uh, this victory that we've been given in Jesus, John offers up one last argument for the person of Christ to these who are doubting their faith uh, in the church that he was writing to. Uh, he's going to kind of make it like a courtroom drama. He's going to bring three witnesses. He actually calls them that. These three witnesses confirm what I'm telling you about Jesus. I love courtroom dramas. Anybody like those? Court, no, just me? Like Law and Order came back on this year. You gotta be a certain age and you gotta watch the old stations, not all the streamers, but like, I think it's on CBS or one of those. Now they, they rolled it back out again. It's good to see Jack McCoy one more time. 
you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, but I, I love that stuff. I love watching, you know, the drama unfold as a, a case is proven. It's kind of what we have here. How do we know that Jesus can be trusted? Because three witnesses prove who Jesus is. Admittedly, a tough set of verses here. When you first read them, you're like, huh? And so we've got to do our best to understand uh, the imagery that John uses. He says in verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. Now, we're going to get to the water and the blood and what they represent here in a second. But let me point this out. John says to this specific uh, audience, it's not by water only, but by water and blood. That can lead you to this conclusion that the false teachers were teaching, hey, we're fine with whatever the water is. We're cool with that. But we uh, disagree with the, uh, you know, the emphasis that's put on the blood, whatever that is. And, and John is saying, nope, we need both. You got to have the water, you got to have the blood. It's not just by the water only, but by the blood as well. Is everybody with me on that? All right, so let's try to figure out what water and blood are here. Everybody's familiar with the two things in their current forms. What could they spiritually represent? August, Augustine, I should say his name, right? Uh, uh, St. Augustine, and, and many like him in the early church, thought that this was a reference to the crucifixion scene where a spear was jabbed between the ribs of Jesus uh, as he uh, was uh, dying or was dead to prove that he was dead, and from his side flowed water and blood. And Augustine, uh, or St. Augustine, reasoned that this was a, a sign of, of Jesus being uh, fully man, uh, that his body was a real body in the flesh. Um, okay, uh, we know from earlier studies that these false teachers did not see Jesus as fully man or in the flesh, in, in his work, because it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, that if anybody calls or says that Jesus was not born in the flesh, he is an antichrist. Pretty strong words, okay? But that's essentially what the, or what the false teachers were teaching, that Jesus wasn't born in the flesh, so Augustine must have been just a little bit off in his understanding there. Uh, another group of theologians offered this explanation. Water and blood signify birth. Uh, as the uh, amniotic fluid is broken and, and precedes the birth, uh, which is you know, uh, experienced uh, through the passing of, of the child and the blood that comes with that, uh, this is another sign of the humanity of Christ. He was born. Uh, but again, I just talked to you about the humanity being under siege, the, the, that belief being the disagreement that the false witnesses or the false teachers had. So, what could it mean uh, to where it flows with what John's trying to say? Well, water. Uh, what do we have from Jesus' life? Well, it says that he came by water. Um, there's a, an oft-used phrase in the uh, Gospels that says uh, that John the Baptist baptized with or by water. That Jesus had a ministry that was baptizing with or by water. Same preposition, same word. And so the, this group of scholars says, well, maybe the water is the waters of baptism. Maybe the blood is the blood that was shed at the cross, which the Bible makes a huge deal about, uh, that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins, okay? So this school says, well, wait, sounds like John's talking about the ministry years of Jesus, which were inaugurated at his baptism, the water, and culminated in his crucifixion, the cross. And he says, these two events recorded for us in the word, Reported to you by myself and the other, apostle, the other apostles. John says these two events prove who Jesus was. He goes on and he says this. He says the spirit is the one who testifies, testifies because the spirit is the truth. 
And the three work together because at the baptism of Jesus Christ, what were the uh, supernatural experiences there? Well, the voice of God the Father speaks out and it sa- he says this, this is my son, in what? In who I am well pleased. The audible voice of God the Father is heard. The, the physical presence of the Holy Spirit himself is seen. He descends on Jesus, the Bible tells us, like a dove. If you ever want to argue the Trinity with someone, go to the baptism passages. There they are, Father speaking, dove descending, the Spirit, Son in the water being baptized. So the Spirit, present at the baptism, uh, verifies, testifies to the person of Christ. Now fast forward to the crucifixion. Uh, It's just another Friday for the Roman soldiers in charge of basically overseeing these uh, executions, typically of, of Jewish criminals. But this one's different. It doesn't go down like all the other ones. The guy hanging in the middle cross uh, is, is saying things, and as he's saying things, he's speaking to God. People have gathered around to jeer him. But then supernatural stuff is occurring. In the middle of the day, the lights go out. There's an eclipse of the sun. The, the, the whole of Jerusalem falls into darkness. Read it. It's in your Bibles. As he dies, the curtain in the temple, this super thick, super tall, long piece of fabric that separates the Holy of Holies from the other compartments of the temple, rips in two, symbolizing the end of that covenant and the beginning of a new. If you keep reading, people don't like reading this stuff, but graves open, dead people walk out of them. There's some supernatural stuff going on, people. Stranger things indeed. Are you with me? You've watched it. And so the Spirit's present. His work is affirming what's going on on that cross. The Spirit testifies at the baptism and at the crucifixion that this guy who's being celebrated in those scenes is truly the Son of God. Now, real quick, the false teachers had probably aligned with someone like this guy, Serinthus. We know him from the first century as a Gnostic teacher who believed that Jesus was somebody, but not who the Christian faith held him to be. He was just this Jewish guy that God in heaven decided to empower with his spirit. That's why they believed in the water. The baptism was real. They believed that God sent his spirit on Jesus at the baptism, and for three and a half years he was able to do things that no other human was able to do because God enabled him to do it. But when it came time for his crucifixion, Serinthus taught that God can't die. And so therefore, even though he has absolutely no biblical proof, he said that the spirit left Jesus right before he was crucified. And then he went back to being just a normal Jewish guy and died a normal Jewish man. Now what that does to our gospel is it turns it completely on its ear. Because without the shedding of the blood, there can't be forgiveness of sins. Without the cross, there cannot be salvation. It's central to what we believe. And John is saying, you guys, the Spirit confirmed the person of Christ at his baptism, at his crucifixion. These three witnesses testify to that truth. I got away from my notes. Can I skip down to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7? Skip that next verse and just go to verse 7. John finishes up here. He says, for these three testify. There are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. It's his defense 
of our gospel, of the person of Christ who's at the center of our gospel. He goes on and in verse 9 he says, we should trust God to say about himself uh, what he says about himself over the the things that other people tell us about him. He says in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. What's what's he saying? Who are you going to believe? When God talks about his own son, are you going to believe what God says about his son or what complete strangers say about him and the things that they've fashioned over him, right? Anybody been in that situation where a member of your family comes and tells you a story and you know them and you know their character and someone's telling a story about them and you're like, well, that's just not who I know. Uh, I'm going to go with the one that I know over the one that I don't. Are you with me? And John says, why wouldn't you do that here? Just because a bunch of guys in your midst heard this teaching, whether it was from Serenthus or someone else, and it tickled their ears and they started saying, you know what, this is probably true, let's go with this. Don't listen to them and what they say, listen to the one who knows. That's why we send teams to Memphis and Utah. We send teams to Utah because there's a huge part of the population of Utah that believes a false gospel. Uh, There's a a religion out there that that claims parts of what we believe and then rewrites a bunch of what we believe. And they need to be um, lovingly challenged with the stuff that they believe in and lovingly brought back to the gospel that we've given. In the same way that John's trying to do that here with these who are reading his letter for the first time. Hey, don't go off in the weeds. Stick with what we know. Believe the ones that God has sent it's all, all the more important these days. I can't think of a time in history where it's been so easy for uh, good, God-believing, Christ-following uh, people to be dissuaded from what their roots are. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, false ideas out there. And now we have this great thing called the Internet where you don't even have to go to a meeting. You don't have to show up with the other people who believe the craziness. You can just type in an address on a... On a on a, you know, a computer screen, and all of a sudden you've got access to all the great lies of history. Don't get me started about high school seniors heading off to our colleges. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you know, I think colleges have great things, but all it takes is just one crazy idea uh, from one teacher to take what we've built into our kids for years and start just undoing that. So John says, hey, man, be careful with it. It's been the way it's always been. From the garden until now, people have been trying to rewrite and revise the things that God has given his creation. Romans talks about it. If you've ever read the first chapter of Romans, we'll study it here some year. I've just been chicken. I haven't done it yet. But uh, uh, it says in Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 18, uh, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They're rewriting truth. We've done it since the garden up until now. For what can be known, Paul argues, about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us. Verse 20, uh, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. He points to creation. He says, listen, in the things that you have or or the things that have been made, you can see God. So we're we're without excuse. This is what's so crazy to me. Where there's a design, there has to be a designer. Where things work so intricately in ourselves 
That, that can't just be, you know, throw a bunch of stuff into a room and hope for after a billion years, everything kind of comes together in the way that it comes together. I, I, listen, I'm not anti-science. I'm not anti those discussions, but I don't think that science negates God. It proves God. It shows us that we are created by a divine being. I am fascinated by how we can discover things about what God has made. I think it brings him more glory, which he is due. It doesn't deny deny his existence. It proves his existence. That's another sermon for another day. In verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, although we as humans were created by God, for God, and we knew God, we chose not to honor him. Not to honor him as God or to give thanks to him as God, but we became futile in our thinking, and our foolish hearts were darkened. We claimed to be wise, but we were fools. We exchanged the glory of the one true immortal God for images, substitutes, lesser thans, things that resembled mortal men, or were actually mortal men. Birds and animals and creeping things. We, we worship the creation instead of the creator. We worship the person in the mirror rather than the one who made the person in the mirror. John goes on and he writes this as he continues in chapter 5. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. If you got it, you got it. But whoever does not believe... God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Almost done. All of the the letter that John is writing culminates, I believe, in the next verse. He's made all of his arguments, offered all of his encouragements, told us to walk in light, walk in love. And he boils it all down, distills everything down to these next words, which is his admonishment to those that he's writing to and his encouragement to them at the same time. He tells them, in my words, the meaning of life is found in Jesus. There's eight billion of us trying to figure out the meaning of life. John says, I got it. You want life? Have Jesus. Anything else? It's not life. He wrote it this way in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I don't know how much further you can break it down. Got Jesus? Got life. Don't? Don't. Put that on a coffee cup. That's us. That's the church for 2,000 years. That's what we believe. If we have Jesus, we have found the meaning of life. Anything apart from that is a life lived in vain. So I'm at the baseball game Thursday night. I had dinner with my daughter. She lives over there. We went to one of her favorite haunts. I had a burger. I don't know what it was called. It's kind of gross, but it was a hamburger between two grilled cheese sandwiches. I didn't eat the whole thing. I just wanted to see it. Is anybody with me on this? It's like going to the zoo and seeing an animal you've never seen before. I just wanted to see it, and it was pretty good, but it just went all down my shirt. Has anybody had this? 
I put the napkin on right after, but it was damage done. I had my nice Red Sox white jersey on. And so it's all this shrapnel from the burger. So that necessitated, as I was driving my daughter back to her apartment, a stop over at Walgreens to grab one of those Tide sticks. Didn't work. But uh, uh, we went in there. took longer than we thought. Long lines. People actually do their grocery shopping at Walgreens. Did you know that? We were behind one of them. Anyway, uh, it got me to the, to the to Tropicana Field much later than I wanted to. Uh, I was trying to, anybody, this is like Murphy's Law. I don't know if that's an actual thing. But if you're trying to find a place to park, uh, all of the places that you could park are closed, closed off to you. I drove past Tropicana Field all the way and had this like circle back around to the first parking lot that I was like, that's way too far for me to walk. Uh, and so I circled back to that parking lot and paid my fee and was running to make it, you know, first pitch uh, <laughs> in the game. As I'm turning around to do my OCD thing where I have to click my fob six times to make sure my truck's locked, um, the paper ticket that I had put in that same pocket, as I'm reaching in there and grabbing the key fob, there's no ticket there. So I dutifully do my six clicks, but then I start checking all my other pockets for the, that I put, of course I didn't put it in another pocket, I put it in that pocket. But it was right around uh, seven o'clock on Thursday night and it was super stormy in our area, the wind was blowing super, and so it must have just blown into this pocket as I was putting it in there and just taking it with the wind wherever it took it. So, I head back. I gotta find this ticket or I'm gonna have to buy another one and figure out where my friends are sitting. Uh, so, so I go back and I, I see the parking lot lady who has just moments before parked my uh, vehicle with me. And she's like, oh, did you forget something? I was like, yeah, my ticket. Have you seen it? She's like, have I seen it? Why would I see your ticket? Well, I, had, you know, I told her the whole story. She's like, oh man, it's so windy. That could, be, that could be all the way to the bay by now. I don't even know where that is. And she's like, you know what? I have this friend who's working with me. He was helping you, you know, you know direct your car. Uh, his name's Carl. I don't know if that's his real name. But Carl's really whiz-bang at this stuff. Let me tell him, and, and you go see if it's in your truck, because that's where I was headed. Maybe I left it in my truck. Because you start telling your stuff, right? You're telling yourself stuff. Oh, maybe I left it in the truck. I didn't leave it in the truck. I knew that. But I was going to go check anyway, right? And so I go all the way back there, and Carl's like, oh, yeah, I'm on it. And he starts walking around Martin Luther King Drive in St. Petersburg, like out in the middle of the road. And I'm looking in my truck, and I st I'm, I'm just like, okay. This is what's going to happen. i got to go buy this ticket. I'm walking back, and all of a sudden, here comes Carl. And he's holding a paper ticket with the post-it that my assistant Tammy put on there with my name, Mark, right? And he's like, are you Mark? And I'm like, Carl, my man! Where'd you find that? It was in the middle of MLK, man. It's crazy. I don't know how I found that. And I was like, Carl, do you believe in God? What? I said, that's a God thing. And I grabbed the ticket and my, you know, I should have gone back and talked to Carl. I was set up. I was teed up. Just smacked that thing. But anyway, uh, I took the ticket and, and I, I walked towards, you know, now I'm super late, but now I'm walking towards Tropicana. And you got to know, I'm holding that ticket like this. Anybody been there? You left your wallet somewhere. You left your phone at the restaurant. You get it back. And the first few minutes that you have it back, it's not out. It's just, mm. I want to see it. I want to feel it. It's here. And I'm walking like this. People looking at me. Who's the guy in the, you know, burger-stained jersey holding his ticket out like a candle? I mean, what's up with this kid? And it's like, no, I will not lose you. And I took it all the way to the gate. I handed it to the person in the gate and boop, go on in. All right, stay with me. Tickets get you into places. You don't 
have them, you don't get in. If you do have them, you're welcome. Those who have the Son have life. Those who do not are not going in. You can argue many paths, one destiny. It's not in our word. There is one way, the only way, truth and life. His name is Jesus. If you have him, you have life. Now, I say that to you because every time I preach, whether it's the people hanging out with me online or in a room like this, like we found out yesterday, people can be in our midst for weeks, years, and not have an understanding of this Jesus who came, lived, died, and rose again for them. And guys like Brandon, who've been witnessed to by their uncle for years, meet some crazy kids from Florida and their leaders. They had a food truck commercial shoot. That's, that's where it all comes together. Even though they've been around the ticket, aware of the ticket, perhaps even holding on to pieces of the ticket. It's still just kind of dangling there and the winds can blow and it can dry and, and people go with that. And, and that might be you. You've been listening to me for years and you keep coming back for whatever reason. You don't even know. I'll tell you why. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And today is the day, my friend. Quit putting this off. Quit saying, it's just good to be around the ones who do have life. Find it for yourself. If that's you today, please don't leave until we talk about it. Talk to me about how you can find this life in Jesus. Now, I know I'm talking to a lot of people who already found him, which is great. But let me go back to what I started with. Is the water deep right now? You're kind of drowning. And you've been doing a high jump and you need to be doing the pole vault. It's time to quit de depending on yourself and yourself alone for what you will never be able to do. And it's time. If it's been a while since you and Jesus have had connection and, and there hasn't been that vibrancy and vitality that life with him is meant to give, then it's time. Quit messing around. You're missing out on the victory, the overcoming that only he gives. Let your faith be in him. And if that's you, come and talk to me. Talk to our prayer partners. Let this be a stake in the ground moment, a kickoff, a beginning, a renewing of your faith in Jesus. We love singing this song around here that Glenn's playing for us, Darnish is gonna lead us in it. It's about the victory and that the battle belongs to the Lord. Stand with us as we close and sing.